0: For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to cynthiahyatt.com. That's C I N T H I A H I E T T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia.
1: Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and as always, I'm so glad when you are joining me. And I'm hoping that this show will help tremendously in terms of your relationship and if you were able to listen to the show that we did on do you trust me this kind of goes with it because apologizing is one of the ways that we instill trust and that we we create new trust or we are able to heal what maybe a misstep did when it came to trust. And so this is the art of healthy apologies. That's what this show is called. And so healthy apologies continue to instill trust in those we wish to have a relationship with. It not only heals the hurt we're apologizing for, but it creates more trust and resiliency within the relationship. So it creates a more positive history in the relationship and it deepens authenticity and feelings of safety and acceptance. And so as a result, there is a relaxing within the relationship as acceptance increases, thus leading to a decrease in defensiveness, hiding, fear, and ongoing offense. And so last, in the last show when we talked about the trust versus mistrust, we talked about when there's mistrust, I can't relax. And then I'm looking for offense. And I am more easily hurt and more easily I'm more defensive and more suspicious and paranoid. I'm constantly on edge, looking for the next time I'm going to be hurt. And so when we have the ability to do a healthy apology, we instill trust and we even add trust even when there was injury. That means the relationship has more resiliency and is stronger because of the injury. So The heart of apologizing is the admission of a wrongdoing. You always have to remind yourself of that. There is no such thing as apologizing unless I'm taking responsibility for doing something wrong. So a true apology is the admission of wrongdoing. Now, that doesn't mean I don't say something like, oh, I'm sorry that you missed the movie. That's not an apology. I'm just, the word sorry is being used as sympathy. Like, oh, I'm sad for you. Oh, I wish you didn't have to miss out on that. So that's a, that, that. When we say something like "I'm sorry that my feeling that my words hurt you," you know, or "I'm sorry that you felt that way," these there is no admission of wrongdoing in those sentences. So, the heart of this show is understanding that the apology, always if it's a true apology, is the admission of a wrongdoing. And then the second one, which is very important, is the difference between an explanation and an excuse. And so we're going to talk more about the difference between an explanation and an excuse in the second part of the show today. So I'm sure you've heard that saying it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Well, that's a double offense right there. (laughs) That's like first you've offended and now you've chosen to offend because you can ask for forgiveness later. So this doesn't mean that asking for forgiveness is an easy thing to do. It's very hard to apologize especially if you don't think you're in the wrong. And so we're going to talk about that as well, that what what bridge building or mending of relationships is about if I am apologizing even if there's no wrongdoing on my part. So we'll talk about that in the second segment as well. So the Bible, it, it, interestingly enough, doesn't talk a lot about apologizing. It doesn't say that actual word, at least not on the surface. So... You won't be very successful if you're trying to do a word search for apologize. That doesn't mean that the concept is missing in God's word. If we look at a couple of places where the Bible addresses this, it's kind of from a different angle. It's, when, when Jesus spoke about asking for forgiveness in the Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. He talks about what we are to do when someone is angry with us, and he says to reconcile with them right away. So notice in this passage that Jesus didn't say who was at fault. Now, we are going to talk more about this in the second half. When we talk about somebody is mad at me, they've offended me, and they're not coming to me to apologize. So I may need to go to them. So when we look more about how to apologize, what I want you to think about is I'm sorry, saying I'm sorry, can be two of the hardest words to say. But they are an essential part of rebuilding and strengthening relationships. And so when we think about the trust versus mistrust, we talked about trustworthy people, and trustworthy people are those that are able to admit that they are wrong. That means that you don't have to be perfect to be trustworthy. It means that I trust you because you take responsibility when you do something wrong, and you admit that it's wrong. And not only that, you feel bad. You care about Hurting my feelings. See, the way we differentiate between dysfunctional, destabilized, uh, disordered people versus sociopaths, narcissists, psychopaths, are that that camp sociopaths feel nothing when they hurt you. That is not obviously a safe person. So trustworthy people are mistake-making people that care when they hurt you, not perfect people. So when we look at this importance of humility, so why is offering a genuine apology so difficult? Well, as humans, it's difficult to admit that we were wrong because we want to give an excuse. We want to say why we did what we did. We want to qualify it. And so it takes a great deal of humility to go to another person and make ourselves vulnerable by asking for forgiveness. Because the vulnerability piece means they may not accept it. They may use it against us. They may launch at us even more. They may harm us in the process. So I have to ask myself, am I humble enough to admit my mistake? Am I humble enough to make myself vulnerable to another person? Saying I'm sorry is one of the hardest things a human can do. It's an acknowledgement of my own failure in a relationship to another person. But it's one of the most critical skills to develop in order to have good relationships with others. Even more important, to be right in our relationship with God. We are all tasked with being clothed with humility with one another. This is 1 Peter verses five five. And the word Peter used for clothed refers to an apron that a servant would wear that would be covered, that would cover all of his clothing. So we need to have godly humility as a covering. We need to be readily willing to say, I crossed the line. I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I missed that. I I should have returned your call. Or even bigger mistakes. You know, I lied to you and I need to repent of that and I need to ask for your forgiveness and let me work toward creating new trust with you so whatever whatever the trespass i need to have the humility to first admit i'm wrong to first say it was wrong without giving excuse so what what do we do when let's let's ask ourselves what an apology is not what what is not an apology So when we said, when we're generally sorry, we we are remorseful for our actions. And it's not simply, I'm sorry that you got upset. That statement doesn't take any personal responsibility. Instead, we say something like, I am sorry that my words hurt you. That was a bad choice of words. This puts the action we are apologizing for clearly out in the open. So the genuine apology is also not a lie. So ask yourself if you should be sorry. If the action in question, is it something that should be apologized for? See, there are times when someone will be upset or offended at at me or at you for doing something that was completely proper or perhaps even your responsibility. It's like an example of a police officer that needs to write a speeding ticket. He's not going to apologize because you're mad at him for that or offended. So we can be gentle and kind, but apologizing for such actions would be at odds with carrying out our responsibility. So sometimes we need to confront, and we need to make sure that when we're confronting, that we're doing it in a healthy, honest, and loving manner. So if the person is hurt or offended, it doesn't mean we apologize for it. We may be sympathetic and say, I'm sure that was hard for you to hear. I hated saying it. I waited a long time before I said it. I was hoping I didn't have to, and I still needed to say it. So it's important, if you feel you've done done nothing wrong, that you give a gentle and loving response. And it says, you know, I'm sorry this experience has been so upsetting to you. Now, the sorry word does not mean an apology. The sorry word means I regret. I'm sad. I wish it didn't have to be that way. Because I I might want to rebuild the relationship. So let's look at the repentance process. Let's say we have offended someone. We have sinned against God as well, or we've sinned against God. With a genuine apology, we go through a process that's similar to repenting to God. The difference is we're repairing our relationship with another person rather than repairing our relationship with our Creator, which really actually God is the one that repairs it. So the first part of the process is recognizing that I made a mistake. The second part is asking forgiveness. So I state my mistake. I am sorry that I did A, B, C, or D, or that I said A, B, or C, or that I didn't do A, B, C, or D. The second part of it is asking for forgiveness. Will you forgive me for this? And the third part is changing. So in order to be a trustworthy person, I state what I know was the offense. I ask for forgiveness for it, and I don't do it again. So... There are times when the reconciliation process may take a great amount of time. And I may need to be honest with the person and say, this is a struggle for me. I hate that I do this. Thank you for forgiving me. And I may do it again. And that's not an excuse. And I'm hoping that you have enough capacity to handle my learning process. I'm working with a therapist. I've got a life coach. I'm meeting with my pastor. I have an accountability partner. That helps that person while you are in the process of correcting wrong behaviors. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about the offended party. What about if the tables are turned and you're the one that's been hurt by the other person's actions? How do we handle that? This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. All the podcasts we have are SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, as well as there are the most recent shows on the website. Join me in the next segment. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and we are talking today about the art of healthy apologizing, or the art, or the, uh, what a healthy apology truly is. And we left off in the last segment talking about what if you are the offended party? What if you are feeling like you need the apology? So if the person has not come to you and taken responsibility for their actions— I mean, maybe they don't even know they hurt you. Maybe they actually do know they hurt you and they're refusing to apologize. What's, what's your responsibility in this? What is my responsibility when someone hurts me and they have not come to me to try to reconcile? Well, Matthew eighteen fifteen states, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The offended party has a responsibility to try to make the relationship right as well. So there are two things that we must ask ourselves before we follow through on this principle. Now, this Matthew eighteen fifteen says that we do this between ourselves. And that is always the first step that we do this between ourselves. If it is a, an egregious offense and the person does not take responsibility for it, then we have the following passages that tell us we may need to bring other witnesses with us. And that is not necessarily to get an apology for reconciliation. That is for accountability on that person's part. So what we want to ask ourselves, these, these questions, these two questions. First, whether is this serious enough to make a big deal about it? So in Proverbs ten twelve, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And so sometimes, you know, there are issues that are not serious enough to bring up. There are sometimes I just need to overlook it. I just need to ignore it. I just need to recognize maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're struggling with something that I don't know about. Is it? Do I really need to clutter up the relationship with going through this process? Can I get over it myself? Now, again, this does not mean I stuff things. This doesn't mean it's easier for me to not go talk to them. So I'm going to avoid talking to them, but I'm going to harbor resentment. Or I'm going to build a wall or the relationship tone will change because I don't want to bring forward this offense. So we have to be honest with ourselves in our own heart. So we first ask ourselves does it need to be brought up? And so the second thing that we're going to ask ourselves is what is my motive for bringing it up? Am I wanting to actually reconcile? Am I, want to, do, am I saying to myself, if I don't tell this person, it's, it's going to become like a rock in the river. All, everything works around it. If I don't bring this up, I'm going to change or I'm going to create walls. Or am I bringing it up because I want to point out their wrongdoing? Maybe I'm a perfectionist. Maybe it's my pride. Maybe it's, it's more of a humbling experience for me to just let it go and be a peacemaker. So the goal is, is not to win the battle, to demonstrate our own righteousness, but to make the relationship healthier. So there are many times when I just overlook, I ignore, I work it out myself, I just forgive them and I move on. There are other times when I know I have to bring it up, or the relationship will be altered in a negative manner. So how do we respond when we receive an apology? How should we do that? Of course, the answer is to forgive. And so Webster's Dictionary says, Forgiveness means to give up a resentment of, the resentment of or the claim to requital for, to grant relief from payment of, to cease to feel resentment against. So this means that I let go Of the grudge. I let go of the hurt. I let go of the expectation. I let go of whatever it is and I say, You're free. You're free. This is what God does when He forgives us through Christ Jesus. He says, You're free. You're forgiven. No debt. You owe nothing. So we always need to be willing to forgive. 70 times 7. And this is very important in intimate relationships. My best friends, my spouse, many times our family. That as people are in a process and they are working on being their own best version and God is doing a good work in them, that we might have to forgive them 70 times 70 times 70 times 70 if we know them a long time. And thank God for my friends and my husband who are very forgiving of me as I work through being who God has called me to be. So we want to make sure that we're willing to forgive. We have a conciliatory attitude. We don't have a haughty attitude. That looks down on them and says, well, of course you should be asking for forgiveness. Or we tell them how much more things they have done to us. Or we repeat the offense and and read the riot act back to them about what they just did. Said, yeah, you should ask for forgiveness because look at this is what you did and I can't believe you did this. Truly being humble and receiving an apology is accepting it graciously and saying thank you. That must have been hard for you to say. And I really appreciate that. And that is very healing for me then I'm very glad you did that. And then we move on, and it is forgotten. So wisdom is an important part of this. It's important to understand that forgiving someone for offenses does not mean that we always have to put ourselves back in the same situation. We need to learn from life's experiences. So let's give an example. Let's say a friend borrows our car and doesn't put gas in it. And so I forgive it the first time. Maybe I don't even say anything. Does it again the second time I say something to him. I say, you know what, you you need to fill the car back up with gas. The third time, he doesn't do it. Well, the fourth time I say, no, you don't get to drive the car. So I can forgive, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are back in the same circumstance. So this is imperative that we understand levels of intimacy. That we can forgive people, but the level of offense... And the unwillingness to change behavior directly affects intimacy. So I I say to people, I want you to think about you drop a rock in a pond and you have all these ripples. Well, I might have a friend on ripple number three. But because their behavior is so painful or disrespectful or dishonest and they and they say they repent of it, but they keep doing it repeatedly, I might have to move them out to ripple number ten which means that we don't have as much interaction and we don't have as much intimacy. What I would prefer is that you're on ripple number four, you offend me, you apologize to me, I forgive you, and you move to ripple number three. We're now actually better because of it. That's the goal. So when we look at this issue of apologizing, there are some great Bible verses about apologizing. And there are some great quotes as well. But Psalms 51.13 says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. This is a safe person. A safe person is not one that feels bad about themselves because they're sinful, but feels bad about their sin. This is a very big difference. See, the enemy wants to condemn me. God wants to restore me. So God wants truth to the inmost parts of my being. He says, wow, we need to come and reason together about what it is that you're doing. He wants to restore me. He wants to refine me. And so you need to remind yourself, a safe person isn't someone that feels bad, feels like a bad person. A safe person feels bad about what they do, not about who they are. And so when we are truly loving each other, we are showing deep love for each other. It covers a multitude of sin. It gives people room to change. It gives people room to grow. It believes that people can actually change. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue talking about this issue of healthy apologies. Well, welcome back to conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And we are talking about the art of healthy apologizing, or what is a healthy apology? And what does apologizing really mean? And so we also referred to the show that I just did about trust versus mistrust. And that one is entitled, do Do you trust me? And we talked about the fact that one of the things that that continues to support trust in a relationship is the ability to take responsibility for doing something wrong not being defensive about it not giving excuses for it but with humility truly acknowledging what i did was wrong and feeling bad about it not feeling bad about myself but feeling bad about what i did And when I mean not feeling bad about myself, I'm not saying that I don't feel bad about myself sometimes. What I'm saying is we don't want to fall into the trap that the enemy has for us, that we are bad people. Because we get too focused on being bad people and not just changing our behavior. So God says, I have washed you white as snow. I have forgiven you. You are redeemed. And so we stand in righteousness, understanding that we are still battling sin. And so Matthew five twenty three through 24, I want to read this because we are going to talk about when do I go to someone when I'm not really the one that did anything wrong? How do I know when I am to continue to pursue intimacy? And so Matthew five twenty three through 24 says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. So I love how this doesn't specify who's at fault. To God, who is at fault is not always what the issue is. It's about making things right. It's about the fabric of our community and our families and our friends and our relationship. And so it's making things right regardless of who's at fault. It doesn't mean that we are taking the blame. But we're taking initiative to live in peace with a person. And sometimes these are the weaker people among us. Maybe they don't have the ability to come to me. And so some of that is saying, you know, if God has laid it on my heart, maybe I need to go to them. And so God called us to love others as we would like to be loved. And that's what we are doing. We are are being to other people what we need them to be for us. And so let's look at what would be some reasons that we would go to somebody and offer some apologies. And an apology, it may not be necessarily I'm doing something wrong, but I'm sorry I'm sad about the state of the relationship. I don't like what's happening here. I know something's not right, and it makes me sad, and I'm sorry about it. And so this might be something like the relationship with the the other person is one that has a lifelong potential such as a family member or a spouse or a longtime friend, and you value the relationship in spite of a disagreement. You may be the stronger one that says, you know, this is a really important relationship and I think we need to talk about this and work this through. I'm not sure what happened. And hoping that the person that originally did the offense will take responsibility. But we are actually making the first step for them. The other one is you've approached them in love and you've been refused. So you may go to them and say, you know, you may not let this be fixed, but I'm considering it fixed. I'm doing everything I can, and I love you, I forgive you, and you're okay with me. Maybe you've tried to find a common ground, you're willing to give in, and they have refused you. It's the same thing. Maybe you approach the person who's offended you, and there's a rehashing of what happened, as if it just happened. And instead of willingness to find a resolution, the person continues to say, why they're not at fault. This is where you need to put it at rest. You need to say, you know, we have a difference of an opinion, but I just want to be okay with you. So I'm going to f- I want to forget this. I want to move past this. Another reason is if you avoid gatherings with where the person might be, you may have to say, I might need to make it right with them, even if they are the ones that offended. Now, this is all I'm saying if they are not dangerous people or, like I said, sociopathic people, narcissistic people, these kinds of people that are dangerous that you are refusing to be around because of that reason. And so the other the other one is you've prayed about the situation and you don't feel the need to create a permanent boundary, like I just said. But you want to find a way to have a relationship that may not be as close but is friendly, That is that is a way to get along, that has less tension. And you also feel certain that if you apologize, the matter will end. And so that's a pride issue for me or for you, that if they've offended me, and I know that if I just go to them and fix it, it will fix, and there's a part of me that goes, that's not right, they should be coming to me. At some point I need to say, you know what, God, you've laid it on my heart, I need to just fix it. And so it's hard for us to get our mind around apologizing when we haven't done anything wrong. But again, this is how we are trustworthy people. That's the issue of humility. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we talk about the art of healthy apologizing. Make sure you see the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Make sure you find me on Facebook at Hyatt Inc., at ScienceEaf Incorporated, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So, if you just joined in, I want to encourage you to visit my website at cynthiahyatt.com. That's C I N T H I A H I E T -T T.com. And the latest shows are on the website. If you want to listen to past shows, we have great podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And then you can also find me on Facebook, and that's Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's INC for Incorporated. Lots of inspirational, motivational things. You can also find out where I'm speaking or singing. And then make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter. So, we are talking today about apologies. What is a healthy apology and the art of the healthy apology? And so, if you're just tuning in, we talked all about what an apology is and how to apologize, these types of things. Well, to this last segment, we're going to focus on. When an apology is not an apology. And I'm sure that you have experienced this before. And I love this article. It was from, um, this is a PhD. It's uh, Dr. John Amodio. And he has a great way of looking at this from a very psychotherapeutic viewpoint, which will kind of break it down for us as to what's really going on with the person that is giving an apology, but it's not really an apology. And in your gut, they, they're saying they're sorry but you're not feeling it at all. And so why is apologizing so difficult? You know, why is saying I was wrong, I made a mistake so painful? And sometimes it can feel like, you know, going to the dentist, like root canal, having to say you're sorry. Well, generally, what we have found is that our level of ability... Our comfort uh, when it comes to the ability to apologize is directly related to how much shame we carry. And if you remember in the last segment, I was talking about the difference between being a bad person and doing a bad thing. So the more shame I have, the more I feel like a bad person, which I always am having to compensate for and hide and justify, make excuses for. So if I've done something wrong to someone, if I've offended them, and I'm a very shame-based person, apologizing is going to be so painful next to nearly impossible because it just goes to further solidify how bad I am. So I'm going to want to avoid apologizing. So when I'm burdened with an ingrained sense of being flawed or defective, then we're going to mobilize to avoid being flooded by all that horrible, debilitating shame. So I'm going to avoid apologizing at all costs because I don't want to feel any worse than I already feel. I'm already a bad, terrible, horrible person. So why would I then go tell somebody I'm even more of that? So when we recognize that we've done or said something offensive or hurtful, we might notice that we get uncomfortable inside. And we realize that we've broken a trust and we've done some damage. So the healthy person that has a healthy sense of shame... And you might want to look at the website, and and I've done some shows on shame. Healthy shame knows when to stop, knows how to monitor my behavior, knows that I shouldn't walk out of the house without clothes on. Toxic shame tells me that that I am a bad person, that I am unworthy, that um, I'm an offensive person, that I'm deeply flawed, which is everything that God does not say, everything the enemy says. And so... It's very difficult for me to move forward with reconciling that I've done another bad thing. So when I have that damage, when I have that injury, then my response to violating someone could go three possible directions. I could either just do, I don't care. So when my personality is pretty rigid and hardened, um, we don't register other people's pain. It's too painful to register the fact that I hurt you because I already feel so bad that now I've done another thing. So I cut myself off from my own painful and difficult feelings. And then I have a blind spot for hurting other people. So it can be maddening to be involved with someone who has been so driven by shame that they distance themselves from you all the time. And they don't see you because all they know is that their survival depends on keeping that shame down and hoping that nobody sees how bad they are. And so they get paralyzed, and they can't function and because of that belief they hold. So this is part of when we talked about sociopathic and, and narcissistic behavior. Sociopaths don't allow themselves to experience empathy for others, and they are so shame-bound due to early trauma that they have no shame. They become numb to it. Now, please remember, I'm talking extremes I don't want you to be diagnosing friends and family as sociopaths because they don't seem to care about hurting you. What I want you to understand is that shame is on a continuum. And when we hit the sociopathic level, that is at the very end of the continuum. Many of us struggle with shame. We have a very shame-based culture that causes us to feel really bad about what we do and so bad that we want to defend ourselves. So that's what I want you to think about is, if I have trouble apologizing because I'm so sick of being wrong and I'm so sick of feeling bad about myself and I'm so tired of never feeling good about myself, I might think, wow, maybe I have some shame that God wants to heal me from. Because I'm not saying that apologizing is ever fun. But when we really know who we are in Christ and know that we are valued, loved, wanted, individuals, that God understands we are a mistake-making people, and sometimes our mistakes are big. But that has nothing to do with our worth and value. It makes it much simpler and easier to apologize. So the second reason we may not want to give an apology is that we care too much about our image. And some of this goes back to shame as well. It's shame management. So it doesn't take being a psychic to recognize when someone's unhappy with us. So evoking a person's tears Retirees tells us we've stepped on their toes. And if this is a friend or partner, then we might care about um, our, what we would say is our group more than we care about that person. So we might muster up or realize that we have to give some kind of an apology so that we look good in front of people, like everybody sees that I said the wrong thing, so I probably need to figure out how to address that. But repairing the damage is really upsetting. And I just want to get that unpleasant matter behind us. So I might do something like, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Or, hey, I just want you to know I'm sorry if I offended you. Or, I'm sorry, but aren't you being a little too sensitive? Like, do you think what I did is really that bad? So I'm wanting to talk the person out of their offense. And so these non-apologies miss the point. Obviously, they're a weak attempt to head off being blamed and criticized. It's us trying to, quote-unquote, make nice, but our heart really isn't in it. And so these pseudo-apologies are strategies that keep us well-insulated from healthy shame, of realizing that we probably did hurt someone and and we messed up, and that healthy shame says, hey, you messed up. And I, I don't like that feeling, but it isn't devastating, and I feel confident enough to fix it. It's just part of being human. So... People who are more attached to their self-image, it's a quandary when they mess up. If they admit their mistakes, they might look bad. So they think it's best to cover it up and just push onward and just hope everybody forgets about it and moves on. And they don't want to acknowledge the mistake. So this is crazy making. So if I say something like, hey, I apologize if I've offended you, or, you know, hey, I'm sorry that hurt, but aren't you being a little sensitive? This is a crazy making statement. We're not putting our heart on the line, and we're not being vulnerable. So the person receiving the apology might say something like, you did offend me, you hurt me, but your antiseptic apology doesn't even reach me. I don't get any sense at all that you've been affected, that you even know how I feel. So the apology is insincere because we're protecting ourselves. So what's the third type of apology? This is the sincere apology. And it's more than mouthing the words. It's actually registering the damage that we've done. And when our words, our body language, our tone of voice derive from a deep recognition of the pain we caused, true healing and forgiveness is possible. And we might say something like this, I am really sorry I did it. Or I can see how much pain I caused you and I feel terrible about that. Rather than the cold, impersonal, half-hearted, I'm sorry if you were offended by that. See, sorry is related to the word sorrow. So a sincere sorry means I feel sorrow or remorse over what I've done and how you feel. So again, remember, apologizing doesn't mean berating ourselves or being paralyzed by shame. What it does is it allows ourselves to be human and to correct what has occurred. And the more human I am, the more I acknowledge the reality of what I've done, the more sorrow I feel about what I did, the more quickly healing occurs, and the more resiliency the relationship will have from them because I then become a more trustworthy person. I become a safer person because I'm a real person that makes mistakes, but cares about those mistakes I make. So I love this quote by Benjamin Franklin. It says, never ruin an apology with an excuse. (laughs) I love that. Because we started out in the first part of this uh, show when I said I'm going to talk about the difference between an explanation and an excuse. So I want you to remind yourselves that explanations only, only come after a heartfelt apology. And an explanation is only offered if it increases intimacy. So if I have offended someone and they feel the heartfelt feeling that I have about how badly I feel about what I've done, and I would like to offer an explanation because I'm wanting to increase intimacy, I want that person to know me better, I want them to understand why I did what I did. I'm not making an excuse. I'm wanting to give an explanation. I only do that if it increases intimacy. So if the person says, I don't, I don't really want to know, then I need to be okay with not being understood and recognizing that it's more important that I fix what I did for that person in the way they need it fixed versus getting what I need. So explanations are extremely helpful when we are wanting intimacy. That means I want to understand how you did what you did. What were you thinking? What was going on with you? Why did you do that? Because many times if I can understand why you did what you did, it makes more sense to me if I get context. But if it begins to erode and water down the apology, then it's really only an excuse. See, excuses make me feel better. Explanations cause the one that is wronged to feel better about me. So let me say that one more time. Explanations only come after a heartfelt apology and only if it increases intimacy. This means the person that you've offended wants an explanation. They want to understand you better. They want to know what the heck was going on as to why you did what you did. So if my explanation begins to erode and water down my apology, if it starts to sound like an excuse, then it really is only an excuse. I'm wanting to excuse what I did so that they don't see me as so bad. That's a shame-based behavior. Because remember, excuses make me feel better. Explanations, if done correctly, cause the one that is wronged to feel better about me or to just feel better. They may not ever feel better about you. Trust may be permanently damaged unless God intervenes. And so there are ways, though, as we talked about being a trustworthy person, that that can be truly healed. So again, Benjamin Franklin's favorite saying, never ruin an apology with an excuse. I trust that this has been helpful for you today, and I want you to really practice the art of apologizing and apologizing from a heartfelt, deep, authentic place inside of you. If you struggle with apologizing, if that's something that you don't do well, I want you to think about what shame is about. And the enemy wants to shame you so dreadfully that you're too afraid to admit you did something wrong. Safe people know they do wrong things, but they know they are not bad people. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me next week. Make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you'd like a keynote speaker for your event, make sure you contact me through the website and have a blessed, blessed week.